Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. conversation with Danny Cunningham of ESPN Cleveland and formerly my co-worker at 1500 in uh, Minnesota here. Uh, and I'll also bring you a, a conversation with Keenan McCardell, the wide receivers coach of the Vikings, who had a lot of interesting things to say at minicamp today. Just wanted to bring a little bit of an update from minicamp. Um, first of all, uh, they were running a little more up-tempo than OTAs. See, minicamp and OTAs, very different things, I guess. Uh, it's it's similar. We get a little more access at minicamp, and it seems like they're doing a little more full speed. Though the offensive and defensive lines, they take the first step of their assignment, and that's it. Then they just stop. So there's no pressure on the quarterbacks. They try to kind of give an idea of when there might be pressure or how much time, two and a half, three seconds. And then it's kind of like, okay, you might be sacked. Um, but they were running some two minute stuff, some more situational type drills than we had seen in OTAs. And I don't want to pretend to tell you how they looked out there. I mean, they moved the ball. They made some good throws, some good catches. Adam Thielen had a one-handed catch. As you might expect, uh, Jalen Naylor made a nice catch by the sideline on one play, but a few things that are worth discussing. Uh, One, K.J. Osborne and Amir Smith-Marset both didn't practice today, just as they didn't last week in the OTAs. Now, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset isn't going to be available until training camp. Kevin O'Connell told us that the last time out, and with K.J. Osborne, It wasn't expected to be anything super serious. Uh, Kevin O'Connell did not give us any sort of timeline, but it does show you kind of where they stand on the depth chart that, you know, you're kind of an injury away from BC Johnson being the next man up. And if there are injuries, then he's got a good chance to make the team. Jalen Naylor is going to be behind him. Um, But that competition is going to really play out when it comes to training camp. But those were the two most notable guys that were not practicing. Also, uh, Austin Schlotman. Now, you might say, what are you telling us about Austin Schlotman not being there for? And I might agree with you. But uh, the notable part of that is that Chris Reed was playing center. So Chris Reed was brought in as a free agent guard who had never played center before in a regular season game. But I do I do believe that he had played some center when it came to uh, preseason games with the Indianapolis Colts before. And he's kind of a versatile guy, can play multiple different positions. So Jesse Davis took the right guard reps uh, with the first team 
and it was Chris Reed playing center with the second team. And then, um, you know, on, on the, the rest of the offensive line was kind of how you would expect. And we talked to Chris Cooper, the offensive line coach after practice and asked him about, you know, Garrett Bradbury and his position. And he said, look, I mean, Garrett Bradbury's taken all the first team reps all the way through the off season. So, you know, he's not going to say that there's a real competition there, but I guess if you were saying things that make you go, Hmm, just even a little bit, uh, that Chris Reed taking some of those snaps, with the second team would be slightly notable that if throughout training camp, they become unhappy with Garrett Bradbury and how he's playing, that maybe Chris Reed will get a shot there. I tend to think that that's not really a competition though, that it just says something about if Chris Reed doesn't win the right guard position and Jesse Davis does, which it seems as of right now. And then this is another interesting comment that it's only between those two. But, uh, when we were asking Chris Cooper about it, he said, well, we've got the two experienced guys, meaning Jesse Davis and Chris Reed. And then he said, and a rookie we're working in as well, which I assume that he means Ed Ingram, but there was no mention of Wyatt Davis who was taking reps. Um, I think at left guard today. Now I could be wrong about that. Uh, but Wyatt Davis does not appear to be in this conversation at all. As of this moment, again, we're talking about these guys taking one step and that's the entire rep. So they're not battling it out. They don't have pads on, but that comment I think was indicative. And remember that, uh, Wyatt Davis was a right guard pretty much exclusively, I believe in college. And so he's not even being talked about as being a part of that competition. So as of right now, long way to go. But if you were making your 53, I'm not sure you include Wyatt Davis on that. And what a crazy kind of fall that would be from on draft night two years ago. Wyatt Davis being penciled in as this is your future right guard. You fixed your offensive line. And even as using a second round draft pick on a guard really tells you how they feel about Uh, Wyatt Davis, considering Ezra Cleveland is locked in, the two tackles are locked in. It's really only the center and right guard position. And I think that with Bradbury, they're going to give him this year. And maybe if it ends up a situation where they bench him like they did last year, that Chris Reed will be that next man up the way Mason Cole was last season. But it feels like there's no real competition at center the way that Chris Cooper talked about it today. Uh, If you were wondering, which I know some of you were, because I get questions about this all the time, Kellen Mond was quarterback number three, uh, that when they ran the drills, first team and then second team on the first field where they were doing the majority of their practicing uh, with with the first two teams, Sean Mannion was the only guy who was doing those situational drills where they'll put up on the scoreboard, it'll say... 17-17 and the clock will be counting down and they've got referees out there for mini camp. I don't know, helping them practice, not clutching and grabbing each other, uh, running routes or whatever. Uh, But they're trying to simulate somewhat of a final drive. Kirk Cousins took a couple of those. Sean Mannion took a couple of those. Kellen Mond did not. So I think that's a pretty good indication that Kellen Mond goes into training camp as quarterback number three. And he'll have a lot of practices in training camp to make up that deficit. But I just want you all to prepare yourselves for now. Sean Mannion potentially being the backup quarterback of this team 
and not Kellen Mond. Because I think that that tells us it's realistic because we've seen only one practice a week until minicamp where we get to see two. But they've been seeing, I think, eight or maybe nine. And so every day they're going out there and practicing and they're leaning toward Sean Mannion, at least for the start of training camp. So just get yourself ready for that. If (laughs) I remember when they brought Mannion back, I got a few tweets that people said, this is the final straw. I can no longer root for the Vikings. They brought back Sean Manny, which, you know, I don't know. Everybody gets unhinged in the off season at some point, but like, if you're that person, then, you know, just, uh, get, just get ready for Sean Mannion backup season. Cause that's kind of where it's pointing at this moment, very far away, but still taking those reps tells you that right now he's uh, QB number two. Uh, also, Lewis Seen got a little bit of a look at him with the first team. He was mixing in and out with Cam Bynum. And I mean, Lewis Seen, I mean, when you draft someone in the first round, you assume automatically right off the bat that that player is going to be with the first team. End of story. Lewis Seen is a starter. And I would assume that that's going to be the case. But remember, I mean, Cam Bynum played really well when he was asked to step in for Harrison Smith. So it is not a a low bar that he's going to have to clear. I mean, he's going to actually have to play better than Cam Bynum throughout training camp and preseason and show a better knowledge of the defense. And it's not totally unprecedented that a rookie would come in as a first round draft pick and not get time. Now I'm not saying that's going to happen and they just usually do this with rookies through mini camp and OTAs. So don't, you know, whatever, misunderstand that I'm saying that he's losing the job already. We are so far away from that. But it did make me think today, like that's a real competition, I think, between Lewis Seen and Cam Bynum. And it wouldn't totally shock me that if on the first day of training camp, we all go out there and we look, you know, who's playing what team and everything else. And we go, oh, they're going to really make Lewis Seen beat Cam Bynum for this job. And I think that there are reasons to be high on Cam Bynum as a defensive back overall. I don't mean that he's the next Troy Palomalu, but it does take a particular amount of talent to be able to step in the way he did last year and play competently and make plays, get an interception. And I and to draft Lewis Seen made us think, oh, okay, they must not be as high on him. Or it's... He's going to be the guy to beat there. And if he doesn't win that job, then they're going to start moving him around. Which speaking of that, moving people around, something that I am very intrigued about, I've only sort of become so over the last, I don't know, couple of practices that we've been out there, is Daniil Hunter in the stand-up rusher role. Now, Daniil has not, you know, like he has some experience in doing this and playing the outside linebacker type of role. But I really wonder about like how different that's going to be. We're talking about somebody that basically since their first year has not done this. Daniil brought up one game last year against maybe Arizona where he did some stand-up stuff and they mixed in some three, four type of concepts. But uh, this is really different. And we talked to Mike Smith, who is the outside linebackers coach. (laughs) 
right? Like they have a coach just for the outside linebackers. Um, I guess if the Denver Broncos can sell for four and a half billion, they can afford a coach for almost every player, which is eventually how it's going to be. But yeah, the outside linebackers coach, Mike Smith, was talking about just Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter bonding and learning from each other. And especially since Zadarius Smith has been in this system, those two becoming close is very good for Daniil Hunter. But I also think that, especially since it's out there and, and the Packers know and everybody else knows in the NFC what type of defense the Vikings are going to be playing if they're going to face some things with formations or motions or whatever it might be that are going to be angled at trying to get Daniil Hunter to have to cover somebody uh, because they were doing a rep today and I'm watching Daniil Hunter have to cover somebody and thinking, how many times has that ever happened that Daniil Hunter has actually had to go out in coverage? And uh, the wonderful part about the internet and about um, Pro Football Focus's website is that you can find things like this out. So uh, if you look at Daniil Hunter's history and his career, it is not a very common thing. He has only been targeted in coverage uh, 11 times in his career and they've had nine receptions. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but in terms of total coverage snaps, 70 is all the coverage snaps Daniel Hunter has ever had. So I don't think like, don't freak out. Like, I don't think that, um, is that's the theme of the update here is don't freak out, but I don't think you're going to see it a lot. But I do think that if you're strategizing to play against the Vikings defense, knowing that there is this element of it, that way, way, way more often than not, Daniil Hunter is just going to be a regular pass rusher. Um, Mike Smith said it's more 4-3 because you're in nickel all the time. So you're really going to be talking about 70 to 80% of the time. You're looking more like 4-3. But when he is coming up with a stand-up role, and, I mean, maybe teams are trying to scheme something up. So that's just like a thing to watch. That's not me saying that offenses are going to put Daniil Hunter in coverage half the time or something like that. It'll still be Daniil Hunter rushing the passer. But that was just something that I was noticing as I was watching training camp today. So, oh, I'm sorry, mini camp today. Got to get my my verbiage, as they like to say, uh, correct. So, uh, while I was out there, Keenan McCardle spoke to the media for about 12 minutes. I took the best couple of minutes for you because I think he's just a really interesting guy. It's And, and look, you guys know about 90s NFL nostalgia here. This is Keenan McCardle, folks. So, no, some interesting things to say about him sticking around. I mean, you think about Kevin O'Connell could have brought in anybody he wanted to be the receivers coach, but Keenan McCardle uh, ends up staying. So he talks about the players um, standing up for him and wanting him to come back, the receivers in that room. And then also about Justin Jefferson. And uh, I don't know if it's a next step for Justin Jefferson, but he talked about that uh, and some of the competition as well at that position. So we'll bring you that. And then after that interview, it's going to be uh, Danny Cunningham talking about the Deshaun Watson situation. So thank you all, as always, uh, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you later. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You talk about your guys. I talked to KJ last week. He said they went to bat for you. Just what does that mean that the, the guys clearly wanted you back and kind of made that known? You know what? It, it meant a lot to me. I mean, uh, you know, and I called them all and said, you guys didn't have to do that, you know. I think, uh, you know, my resume would have spoke for itself. And if it didn't, you know, it was just part of, part of the process because, you know, in this, in this, in this coaching business, you got to do your job and then hopefully other people see it and see how hard you work. But I appreciated all those guys going to bat for me. Uh, it shows you what kind of room we have. You know, we, we take care of each other. Uh, we look out after each other. We, we make sure that it's a family in there. And that's, that's how we feel. Coach, I guess that being said, obviously there's a new coaching staff, a new offensive system, but how beneficial is it to have a lot of carryover on offense and especially within your group? It's, it's great uh, because you got a quarterback that's somewhat been through this system, you know, and uh, understand some of the things. And then you guys, we got a, a group of guys that's in my room that have played with the quarterback. The quarterback understands how how they play. He loves how they play. They love how he plays. So that chemistry right there kind of puts you ahead of a lot of a lot of a lot of teams that are having coaching changes. Keenan, what are the next steps for a guy like Justin who's set records in his first two seasons? Continue to get better. I mean, set set more goals. I mean, each year is a new year. I tell them that all the time. I tell everybody that each year is a new year. Don't rest on your laurels. Come out and 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 be a different person. You know, I I, I heard um, Troy Aikman say this one time. He said each year is a new year for him. Each year he's a different person. So he has to get he has to be a better person. So you know, after ten years, Troy Aikman probably could have just sat there and been the same Troy Aikman, and everybody would have said yeah, but. Now, you know, he, he would say, you know, the next year is a new year. It's like year one for me. And I, I say that to those guys every day in there. You know, this is a new year. You know, why not you? Why not you be uh, set, set the record for uh, yards, catches in a year? Why not you? You know, what you did last year was good. You know, let's be great. Listening to you and JJ out there, it sounds like he's always asking you questions. How has your relationship with him over the past three years kind of grown? It's been great. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we he understands me. I understand him. You know, and I try to I keep it simple. When you got a great player like that, you try to keep it simple and let his talent do the, do, do the work. I mean, you help him with things that he may have, may have not seen before and that I have probably seen in my career. And I've probably seen every look that he's seen. But, you know, I try to help him through it. And once he gets it, he gets it so fast. And uh, he knows how to capitalize on it. So, you know, his talent is is there, and I just let let his talent do the work. Hey, Keenan, we've heard Wes Phillips mention that this offense might put more on the plates of the wide receivers just in terms of maybe some unspoken adjustments at the line or stuff like that. What are your impressions of it, and just how do you go about teaching that kind of stuff? You know what? I love it because it, it puts more onus on us. We got we to gotta put that ownership on us and uh, to make the passing game work. So we got to be dialed in. We got to communicate. You know, I love it being a former receiver that – that, that has a control 
to, you know, it's like we are in control. You know, we got to make, we got to hear it, see it, run the right routes, and make the plays. So that, that puts more ownership on our table. Uh, when you were first coming into the league, what were you ninth round pick? Twelfth uh, round. Twelfth round pick. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, how did how did you separate yourself? Do you remember? Yes, easily. Um, a coach of mine told me, a uh, DB coach told me, you you have to make a play a day to keep keep us thinking about you. So every every day in practice, every practice, I was gonna make a play, a big play, one hand catch. Run by somebody, make a touchdown in the red zone. I was gonna make a play a day, mm. and as as he then he came back and told me this league is about playmakers. If you're if you're making plays, it's hard to get rid of playmakers. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did when I was a 12th round pick, and I caught some people's eyes. Joining me, a former brief Minnesotan from ESPN Cleveland, my friend Danny Cunningham. What is up, Danny? What's going on, buddy? Oh, just enjoying life in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. How are you doing, Matthew? Uh, doing okay. Doing all right. Well, I wanted to bring you on to have a discussion about what is happening with Deshaun Watson because I think that it's one of the most challenging stories to talk about and challenging for the NFL and also one of the stories that could shape the league the most considering that Deshaun Watson is an incredible football player, but also just had the 24th lawsuit uh, for sexual assault filed against him. I, I guess, why don't we start there? Like, what does it mean to have another lawsuit get filed? Because it seemed like the minute the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson was when they thought this whole thing looked like it was over. So where do we stand? Yeah, Matthew, and I don't think the Browns or really the NFL stance has changed on this. I do think that the NFL obviously is in the midst of an investigation in the matter about whether or not Watson has violated the personal conduct policy. Now there have been, of course, you mentioned a new lawsuit that's the 24th lawsuit alleging sexual misconduct by Deshaun Watson in essentially massage parlors um, throughout his time in Houston. And I don't think that these new accusations coming to light really change how the Browns feel or how the NFL feels. I'm pretty confident in in my thinking that the NFL has known about this specific one and all the other specific ones through their finding. It's obviously changing things from a public perception matter because we get a new lawsuit that has very uh, grotesque details in it that emerged earlier today. So I don't think that it changes the thinking of the league. I don't think that it changes the thinking of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, there's 230 million reasons why nothing outside of criminal activity, which Deshaun Watson had been cleared of before the Browns traded him by two separate grand juries in the state of Texas. There's 230 million reasons on that contract for the Browns to not change their feeling on Deshaun Watson. And ultimately, if he's a really good quarterback, they're getting what they paid for. That's that's really what they care about. And of course, they say that they did their their due diligence into him. To what extent is still shrouded in mystery? And I I really am, Matthew, fascinated to find out what sort of punishment Watson will receive from the NFL when their investigation is closed. Well, it seems like the due diligence was, uh, could he go to jail? No. And so, alrighty then, he's our quarterback. We're going to trade for him. That is, probably is the extent of it. And when teams won't a- answer to whether they spoke with the alleged victims, you know what the answer is. It's no, we spoke with lawyers who told us 
that this is probably not going to result in him going to prison at any point, and we can deal with any suspension. When you think about Jameis Winston was suspended, I believe, six games um, or maybe four, and the same thing for Ben Roethlisberger was a relatively short uh, suspension. Kareem Hunt was on video kicking a woman, and it was an eight-game suspension, and my guess is that that's kind of what they expect, but the NFL is in strange territory here, and this even connects to Delvin Cook's issue that when it's a civil case, like does it violate their personal conduct policy? I mean, their conduct policy has been interpreted by the same commissioner in many different ways. There were players who were suspended for multiple games for having like a marijuana arrest that got dropped instantly. Or, I mean, think about Kareem Hunt wasn't charged with anything. So you're saying, wait, Deshaun Watson isn't charged with anything, but you suspended Kareem Hunt. Like, how are we dealing with this? And it seems like the NFL is entirely just haphazard, however they feel like they want to go with something. So in this case, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was no suspension, or I wouldn't be surprised if there was a huge hammer laid down on Deshaun Watson at some point. Matthew, I have to agree with you that I really have no idea what's coming in terms of the suspension because the the personal conduct policies you mentioned has been interpreted so many different ways. I mean, you look at a guy like Josh Gordon, wide receiver, used to play for the Browns, who I'm very familiar with covering his career. He basically, and he's still in the league, he's on Kansas City currently, but he basically lost the prime of his career several years because of failed marijuana tests. You mean to tell me that that is worse than anything that Deshaun Watson is alleged to have done or what we saw Browns running back Kareem Hunt do on video? You mean to tell me that is a worse thing? And it obviously is not. Anyone with a brain knows that to be the case. But the way that it's written, it's so great that these things can be interpreted a number of different ways. And I sort of think that's on purpose. I will say I do believe that this is the first investigation of its kind that the ruling or the suggestion is not going to be made by Roger Goodell right away. Now, of course, Watson will have the ability to appeal, which is given to him through the collective bargaining agreement. I do believe that Roger Goodell and the NFL could also appeal if they don't like the findings, which I would bet we will see an appeal because no one ever likes the findings. Of course, like Watson believes that he is completely innocent, did nothing wrong, did not violate any women or disrespect women. In any way, as he said multiple times at his Browns introductory press conference, he believes that the suspension should be zero games, that he shouldn't be in any trouble. And the NFL might have a different point of view. But ultimately, it's this is an incredibly interesting case to follow because in a way, and I realize that there have been a lot of bad guys in the NFL that have done a lot of bad things, Matthew. But in a way, I think that this case could be sort of a precedent resetter with the way that these things are handled now as compared to when they were when Ben Roethlisberger was suspended or even more recently with Jameis Winston. I think that this could be something that sort of resets a precedent. Right, and I think that there's a difference between what those guys were accused of doing and the sheer mass of people accusing Deshaun Watson of all pretty much the same thing. Now, there's another case that is with Trevor Bauer in the Los Angeles Dodgers, where it's still in flux, and yet Major League Baseball is suspending him for two years. And that did make me wonder if the NFL would look at Major League Baseball doing this with Trevor Bauer and really laying down the hammer on Bauer, which they must have found 
a lot of evidence that he was uh, doing the things he was accused of doing. And, and then his attacks on people after that on social media and so forth were also a very bad look for the league. But it ran through my mind that Roger Goodell would have to take note of another major league looking more progressive on this matter or or harder on this matter or smarter on this matter than them but i also just cannot see the nfl laying down a two-year suspension on a player that would be completely unprecedented and totally shocking yeah matthew and a, a couple things go into comparing the trevor bauer situation to the deshaun watson situation that i do think are important to note one in the accusations against Bauer are not only in a sexual manner, but they're also a very violent accusation. Yeah, it's right. not just, you know, violating women in a sexual way. It was a physical violence type of thing. So I do think when you combine those sorts of things, it, it, it's an even worse look, despite the fact that the number of accusations against him are lesser than that of Deshaun Watson, because Watson has not been accused by anybody of rape. And he's not been accused of anybody of being a violent um, type of offender. So I do think that's something that's worth noting. I also would find it very, I guess, interesting is the right word to see the NFL follow the course of Major League Baseball. I just think that the NFL kind of sits on its own island where they care about themselves. They really don't care what happens in baseball. They really don't care what happens in basketball. Um, they probably don't know anything that happens in hockey. Like the NFL cares about the NFL and they're going to decide what they want to decide because they view themselves. And I guess rightfully so with the way that we care about this sport and talk about this sport, they view themselves as we are what matters most. Baseball can do whatever it wants. It doesn't affect us. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But if I had to guess, the two suspensions between what Trevor Bauer has received from baseball and what Deshaun Watson could potentially receive from the NFL don't really relate to each other. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, maybe, I mean, just thinking about like what they often just react to whatever kind of pressure is on them, right? Like with Ray Rice, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't suspend him at first or maybe suspended him. He got him two games. Two games, he right. He was suspended two games originally, and then the videotape came out. Right. I believe the suspension was then increased to six, but he never played football again. Right, right, right. So it ended up more or less being on the team. Now, something, uh, talking to Danny Cunningham, by the way, ESPN Cleveland. Danny, I mean, something we've been talking about on the show here tonight is about teams and the way that they present themselves publicly and just what, like what all that means. Uh, I mean, if you're the Cleveland Browns, the message you're sending to your community in Cleveland is, Hey, if you don't like this, uh, potentially serial sex offender, that's a, you problem. Come watch him play football. And well, that's super icy cold and kind of disgusting. Uh, there's also a part of me that understands people who just look at sports as if like, look, that guy and his off field stuff is not my problem and go Browns. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that that's the right way to look at it because I've never been able to get to a point where I think that that's an okay view to just say sorry ladies yeah he's a creep but he's on our team he's our creep um but i wonder how you feel with that i mean you on radio talk with fans every day about 
this subject, which I'm sure is a joy for you. But I mean, <laughs> but I, I guess I guess how do you view that with a team just saying, look, we don't care at all how you feel about this. Here's the biggest contract of all time, Deshaun. I think that there is a faction of fans that, you know, you brought up. They don't care. They just want the Browns to win. The Browns in my lifetime have won two playoff games. One of them came in 1994 and the other one came back in 2020. There's a large faction of fans that they don't care what Deshaun Watson may have allegedly done, may have allegedly not done. That doesn't matter to him. But the fact that he is, let's be honest, really, really good at football. There's no question about that. When he's on the field, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game. That's what they care about because with him, the Browns are a team that could be potentially good enough to win a Super Bowl. And for a lot of people, that's all that matters. And I'm not saying that I am one of those people, but I can sympathize with them, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, Matthew, where there are, there are so many things just in our world that are worth being upset about, that are worth stressing about, that make it feel almost on a daily basis like the world is coming to an end in a sense. There are people out there that on Sunday at noon, they want to sit on the couch, watch TV. They don't care what anyone on that field has done off the field. Right. They just want to be made happy by the guys that are wearing their favorite colors. That's all that matters. And I, I'm not saying that's a right or wrong way of doing it, but it's a way of doing it that I understand. And then, of course, there's the other side of the coin where there are many people that I know that they're not Browns fans anymore because of this, because they don't feel as if they can support this type of person who allegedly did these things on the football team. And that matters to them. But I, I do see both sides of it. At the end of the day, there are people that they just want to be happy watching football. They don't care that, you know, running back Kareem Hunt has an issue with an off the field thing in the past. They don't care that Deshaun Watson may have allegedly violated 24 women and is accused of sexual misconduct by all those women in civil court right now. That doesn't matter to them. What matters to some people, and again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, is that he's really good at football. Yeah, I think that there are extremes to this. I mean, if one player has one problem, I mean, you can look at that and say sort of isolated incident. When somebody is accused of 24 lawsuits, how can you look at it? How can you go to a game and be like, yeah, my team cares about the community. We brought this guy to the community, but they certainly care. And so teams are always trying to put up these fronts of, oh, we care. Like Kevin Stefanski was on a Zoom call for like women trying to get into NFL coaching right before they traded for Deshaun Watson. Like, I'm sorry, man, but that's about the most hypocritical thing I've ever seen. I mean, there's no way to look at. There's no way to look at this and say, oh, okay, well, this team that's claiming to care about the community and pumping up all its community efforts and more diversity in the front office and everything else, and then you trade for this person. For me, it's either be all in or be all out. And don't claim that you're about anything else. You almost have to respect the uh, Dallas Cowboys from back in the day where Jerry Jones was like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever, whatever Michael <laughs> Irvin is snorting up his nose, I do not care. Like we are here to win football games and don't care about anything else. I think that that's gotten, I think frustrating for me. And also 
I mean, that's the, uh, in a way, the problem when something becomes so big, there's literally no way to hold it accountable because the NFL and the Cleveland Browns know, yeah, you guys are going to show up. And even if you, 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 and you don't, other people will take your season tickets. And so we're asking them to have some sort of moral standard when they're so big, they don't have to. And I think that that has to be really frustrating for a lot of fans. Yeah. And that's kind of the, I'm confident in saying that the NFL cares about two things genuinely, or at least teams, they care about money and they care about winning. Yep. Deshaun Watson can help them win. That is ultimately what really does matter. And, you know, you make the case about the, the hypocritical aspect of Stefanski going on a call about women getting into coaching and how bad that looks after the fact. And, I don't want to defend the Browns here because it is a very hypocritical thing, but organizationally, at least prior to Deshaun Watson showing up, they had been an organization that really had done those things. Andrew Barry obviously is a minority general manager. They've had several minority head coaches. Of course, no head coach of the Browns really until Kevin Stefanski, regardless of anything else has been very good, but though minorities have gotten a chance in Cleveland with the Browns. If you look at their chief of staff right now is Kelly Bronson, a woman. Quesi uh, Adofu Mensa, the new general manager of the Vikings, who I'm sure everyone up there loves so very much, came from the Cleveland Browns and was Andrew Berry's right-hand man. But it is a hypocritical thing to say, we are going to do these things for women. We're going to do these things for minorities, which they genuinely had done, and then turn around and do this because – at the end of the day, all those things are nice and it looks better as an organization, but those things don't help you win football games the way that Deshaun Watson can. Right, right. And uh, if you sell your soul, um, the NFL rarely makes you pay for it. And that's correct. Uh, I think for a lot of a lot of fans, that has to be very frustrating and I don't have an answer for it. And I also don't want to tell the person that doesn't care, no, you're wrong, you have to care. Like, no, you don't have to care about anything. You can, and also trying to avoid, I mean, anything, I mean, Michael Jackson songs or something like it's really hard to avoid in any sort of entertainment, anything problematic. So, uh, yes. I, like, I, it, I it comes back to the whole, it comes back to the whole separating the art from the artist here. And I'm not trying to, you know, call football arts, although I'm sure you certainly would, <laughs> but like, do I think Kanye West is the best person around? No, I, I don't. I think there's a lot of issues with him. Do I think Kanye West has created some of the best rap music I've ever heard? I do. Am I not going to listen to some of his older music because I don't agree with the things that Kanye West does? No, I, I still enjoy those songs. So I do think that there is merit to that where there are a lot of people out there that their teams, let's face it. Every team in the NFL has someone on it that has done something that's less than savory. Right. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you to not cheer for the Browns because of Deshaun Watson or the Vikings, because they may have had a guy that's done something or the Los Angeles chargers because something happened out there. At the end of the day, you have every right to be a fan of the team that you want to be a fan of. And if you can separate the art from the artist, it's going to make your it's going to make your experience on Thursday night, on Sunday afternoon, on Sunday night, and on Monday night as a football fan much more enjoyable. Yeah, but I also think that 
you can look at that team and say, you know what, I'm just going to cheer for somebody else whose quarterback didn't do that. It's not it's not a linebacker. It's it is the face in the front door of the organization. It's not somebody if you wait around a little while, they'll kind of be on their way out. Um, it is the true like franchise player and uh, the accusations are so extreme that I think that this situation is different from some something else where it's like, oh, well, that team's got a wide receiver who X, Y or Z. You know what I mean? So um, that, that's but, a fair point, too. That's a very fair point that this is the you know, this is the guy on the commercials. And I'm not saying right. he's going to be on commercials in the near future, but <laughs> probably not. The, you know, when the Monday night football graphic comes out yeah. each and every week, whether yeah. like if it's, you know, the Cardinals and the Rams, it's going to be Matthew Stafford or, and Kyler Murray. Like that's just the nature of the position. It's the most important position in sports, not only on the field, but from a marketing standpoint too. Right. Danny, great stuff. Great to catch up with you, man. Uh, at Real D Cunningham on Twitter, ESPN Cleveland from 5 to 7 Eastern time if you're perusing the internet and want to listen to Danny talk for some reason. But uh, <laughs> always great to catch up with you, buddy. I know it's a, a weird subject, but, um, you know, it's it's one that's really kind of dominating the headlines at the moment. So I appreciate the time that uh, you took here, and we'll talk again soon. My pleasure, Matthew. Thanks for having me.